You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You are listening to episode 153 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yuan. Joining me as always talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. Making her triumphant return. Her first I appearance a, in Asian appearance. Life. I'm a husk of a woman. <laughs> My Asianness has been drained like a like a vampire. The most professional Asian American, just you. Hey Marvin. Welcome back. Do you regret? Do you regret coming back as a professional Asian American? Life is complicated, and, and I think I'm still shook it, so I'm still recovering. <laughs> so ask me in like a month. Uh, Jess, of course, is back from her hiatus um, working at Campus up in um, the Bay Area, which is one of the, might I say, two largest Asian American film festivals. Um, yes. Campus in Bay Area and LA Asian. Actually, Marvin, LA. it's it's one of the world's largest showcases of Asian American film ta- film. Uh, Music, food, and ideas. Can you tell I've been doing that pitch a lot? <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to have a PR off. I did not memorize our lock line, so I, can't, mm, I have no rebuttal. Mm, tisk tisk. Well, I had to do so. I did a lot of the intros. I did like probably over 20 intros and, and a lot of interviews. So, yeah, I got that unlocked now. So film, music, and food. Wow, that's... No, it was really, really cool. It was really cool. It was really fun. Very exhausting. Um, You know, they're trying to go back to pre-pandemic full force. And I was one of the most Asian and the most professional experiences of my life. So (laughs) um, learned a lot. Learned a lot about myself. Got a massage. I'm like halfway back to being a human being again. Um, I think I've... I think I'm we have like a week left of the month we exist. So I think I'm good. I think I'm gonna sit the rest of the week out. Yeah. I think I've done my due diligence for the year. You've you deserve it. You've you've Asianed yourself into a nice uh vacation. I've Asianed myself out, yes. A hundred percent. And I, I need to go on a hiatus to replenish, you know, eat some ginseng, play some mahjong. Do some more recreational Asian things. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go sit in like a Korean spa and like just yeah. become soup. I think I really need that. So you're welcome to join me, uh, y'all. If if we, you know, if you want to find a time to just brew in our own soup, let me yeah. know. Also joining us, the most professional and the most Asian of culture editors, Hong Wen. <laughs> I mean, you really can't argue with that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> hey, how are you? how are you weathering through Asian Month? I'm sh- like, are you? It's, it's rough. <laughs> I don't have film festivals like you do. Um, I, I did attend one screening, which I talked about last week, but um, I'm just going through a thing at work where one of my writers has left. And so I'm in the in the throes of part of me is looking for tons of freelancers to fill in the gaps, but then also half of me is um, looking for a new staff writer. And even though I'm not doing the interviews, um, my editor-in-chief is, but... It doesn't mean that people aren't hitting me up, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. I feel like the freelancer pool should be pretty overflowing right now, with, with all the um, all the layoffs that's in there well, in the media industry the last few weeks. No, it's it's most people are looking for a full time job. So I have heard mm. from my editor like that it's 
overflowing the email address for the um, applications. So all I know is tons of people have added me on Twitter and I have not followed them back because I'm sorry. You know, I know I know you're going to slide into my DMs if that's the case. Um, and I cannot give an answer to everyone. Um, so, you know, I, I just say definitely apply if you think you have the qualifications. Just there, you know, there's a link on salon.com. Um, but yeah, there are only so many like so many informational interviews I can give people <laughs> in order for them to apply. So like literally my day has been like, can you make it now? No. Can you talk now? No, no. <laughs> you know? And so it's just like, I also need to edit and do other stuff. So I've gotten freelance pitches, but honestly, not so much. I think it's because, you know, uh, salon's freelance budget isn't quite as uh, full as other places. So I think people just want full-time jobs and I can't blame them. You know, it's rough out there. Yeah. I would also love a full-time job, but right, alas. Right, <laughs> Yes, yes. So I'm not going to take it for granted that I have a full-time job, but I'm also just like stressed out. I would love someone, to, you know, I would like another editor. So, yeah, uh, which we are not looking for yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on this week's Good Pop, we are chatting about Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 3 um, going someplace. And you know what? It is quite an Asian film if you think about it. So I think it does... <laughs> fall into our purview um the latest mcu film that came out a couple of weeks ago um very excited to talk to you about this han um jess you have not watched this but you will listen to no i'm here for a good it. time i've seen enough honestly from mm. the trailers i don't know if i can handle this movie i no. really like raccoons yeah it's emotional so i know and I'm otters yeah. raccoons are your spirit animal this, raccoons this was, and otters yeah. yeah this was actually rough for me because of that so yeah you know but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Um, Jess, since you're returning to the fold, tell us what's popping. Yeah, so I got to watch a lot of stuff in the last two weeks um, and a lot of great shorts, which I wish, you know, there was like a more standard distribution for but i'm sure it'll end up on some streaming platforms but there were some really great features that are now available to watch or will be available to watch so of course opening that right night was joyride which you know the adele Lim directed friendship sex comedy romp really fun 90 minutes Ooh. amazing amazing does not waste a minute and just fan-fucking-tastic um great performances very funny like not a i'm a serious funny no just like funny like so funny like you're gonna have to watch it several times because you're gonna miss some of the jokes the first time in the theater because people are laughing uh just wild shit really fun to see some friends in it like um you know all the hot guys we know (laughs) all our hot guy actor friends are in it desmond chris alex hodge and but really it's about friendship and like finding yourself and and more about that than you know like a romantic thing and adele cherry and Teresa, who all you know did the story and co-wrote it um just you could tell their energy is very much in this if you heard any of them speak in real life it's very much that their energy so that's coming out july 7th I dare everyone to bring their mothers. I'm going to bring my mother. It is a it is a rated R comedy for a reason. <laughs> but yeah, bring your mom. See how that turns out. And then another really on the kind of other total flip side is a very uh you know, independent movie written, directed and acted by Nardeep Kermi which 
you know, that in itself is a miracle. Because usually when I see written, directed, and acted, I'm like, ooh, this can't be good. This one's actually good. It's called Land of Gold. It's available on Max, which, oh my God, we yeah. oh, we could talk about that whole thing later. Yeah. We can do that for a do we want this. <laughs> it's on Max. It's funny and... because my brother's name is Max. So now... Oh. Oh. He's just an app now. Like app. Alexa is yeah. an just an app or like an AI thing that's going to kill us all. But it's really touching. You know, he, Anardi plays a truck driver who finds a undocumented little girl, Mexican little girl in her, in the bed of his truck. And he resolves to reunite her to safety with her family. So it's like part road movie, part like chosen family, part like, you know, samurai and wolf cub. Um, they're you know trying to deflect ice, and and it sounds really bummer, which you know in many ways it <laughs> is, but it's also very much you know there's some lighthearted moments and really great connection. The kid is great. The kid's written well. Like the kid's not annoying. The kid's not overly precocious. Like the kid is a kid, and it's really interesting to see like that cross cultural cross racial storyline. So it's really great. It's available on Max. uh and yeah there's so many films so many great stuff but those are the two that really stand out to me and so check them out yeah one you can do now and one in a month or two so wow look at us we do exist outside of may very excited about joyride um we did not get to screen that at la asian um it went up to cam you guys 1 point for cam i guess um but very no, excited be, i'm sure be, <laughs> it's fine it worked out for y'all <laughs> but looking forward to catching a screening of that uh, my wife is very excited she loves um she loves these type of films yeah so it's really fun yeah. it's it really fun, fun. <laughs> all right han what's popping with you oh well i read a book <laughs> i've heard about wow. this one it yeah. has a very unsettling cover yeah, well, it's an unsettling book. It is called <laughs> She is a Haunting. It is by Trang Tan Tran. I'm sorry if I didn't get that right. There are no diacritical marks on it, so I don't know exactly <laughs> where how to pronounce it. Um, not that my Vietnamese is great anyway, even if they, it was marked up. Um, but they are an author who has a really great way with words. This is something I very much appreciate. Um, the basic story is Jade Nguyen is a 17-year-old student who is um, about to graduate. Well, no, has graduated and is trying to get money to go to, I think it's UPenn. And her parents are separated because her dad left their family. um, But he's trying to lure her in in by saying, if you stay with you know, me for five weeks in Vietnam because he's setting up this B&B um, that's made from a colonial, French colonial sort of structure. Um, that, and you set up the website for the B&B then, um, or hotel, whatever, I don't know what it is. Um, then you, ca- I will get you the money. And so she's like begrudgingly like, like, sure. And she goes with her sister. Problem is, it's haunted. Um, oh, dun, dun, dun. And the haunting is very creepy because, as you mentioned on the cover, it is a, the face of a young woman, a Vietnamese woman. You can tell by the collar that she's wearing. Um, and there's like, looks like bugs and possibly flowers coming out of her mouth while she's sort of crying. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there are bugs and flowers and stuff like that. It's a very visceral. 
um, kind of haunting. It's not just like ethereal ghosts. There's like gross stuff going on. There was one scene that was described that I was like at the gym, like freaking out, like, like, bleh. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. But um, they have a really great way with words as not just describing things viscerally, but also um, really good dialogue. Like uh, Jade meets someone called Florence there, another um, sort of Vietnamese American young woman. And they have a vibe going on because uh, Jade is uh and um but just their jokes and the way they talk and the weird references and sort of out of left field sort of stuff just like made me really feel who they were um and made me laugh sometimes uh besides being wicked out so that was good um yes there is a uh french colonialism is bad and they were evil and there's a reason why there's hauntings going on um a lot of people kind of compare it to mexican gothic which I understand why they would say that just because white people and another house. But honestly, they're not the same. They definitely give a different vibe. Um, I've read both. Um, Totally different. And uh, yeah, I recommend it. It's I don't know if it's going to like blow you out of the water. But if you just kind of want a really eerie, creepy vibe, then this this will do you. And um, I enjoyed it. I feel like I would want to read whatever else um, they wrote for the next one. I will say. Horror literature is not something I seek out. I don't either. Although I do have a soft spot for like gothic horror. Yeah. I, I Look, in general, I'm not a horror person. But do I end up consuming a lot of creepy things? Yes. <laughs> um, for reasons. Um, I think gothic I'm okay with because even though it's disturbing, there is a um, sort of artistic vibe to it all that I like. There's a lot more going on than just sort of slasher horror. Um, and, you know, if it's going to be Asian, I'll eventually check it out. Like, that's how I ended up seeing The Ring and I regretted it. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I've watched a lot of J-horror in my life for some reason. Um, yeah. yeah. And and it's good. That's the thing. It's like I cannot deny that the ones that have somehow penetrated into my world, they're good. But... I, they just disturb me so much. Those are the ones that I have to like watch on a Friday afternoon. So that way, if I can't sleep that night, it's the weekend. So I'm I'm good. Yeah. Um, I will say yeah. I was forced to watch the original Candyman for a film class in college. Oh, that's good. And yeah, while that film is terrifying, I did like that it had like a message of like, these are the ghosts of like racism. And yeah. I do appreciate that this book is talking about the ghosts of colonialism because let's face it, the ghosts of colonialism still alive in the world today oh hell yeah and i like the fact that that's not often something really mentioned in vietnam because usually it's the war that's the story so this is kind of like hey you know white people were here too um (laughs) i like you say like the war like oh the war yes the american war Mm. um but yeah uh it, it it also just gave me like I read certain books in my household because my dad had a ton of books uh, growing up. And so I was just like, I remember one that had a lot of French people in it with Vietnamese people. And I was like, what is going on? Uh, so there's just a lot of it, it. It just adds one more piece of the puzzle for me as far as like, you know, sort of the vibe of how people feel the mixed mixed things. Because, of course, they've also embraced a lot of French culture, like willingly. Um the fact that we have a Romanized alphabet, you know, <laughs> um, and we love our banh mi and, and Vietnamese coffee. So all of that stuff. Uh, yeah. 
there's a book we just announced on Book Symbol, and I'm blanking on the name, but it has similar, like, it's about a Indian family who goes and fixes up a haunted house to rent out on Airbnb. Um, mm. Let me, I'll look for the title and let you know. Oh, that point, looks but. fun. Yeah, I'll check, <laughs> I check that out. I think the other thing is, if as long as I can get it as an audio book, I will listen to it at the gym where the, I'm surrounded by people and bright lights. <laughs> yeah, nothing less creepy than the gym. I, right. I hope someone should do someone should do a horror film in the gym. No place is safe. Oh no, <laughs> and it's just all gonna be bros hitting on you. Oh, anyway, <laughs> but then they get like you know eaten up by the gym racks, <laughs> like a so, haunted like, like bench press gym. Yeah. Oh, by the uh, the the treadmill, like it. it, it yeah, sucks it just in. like eats you up, or like it'll your be the gym version caught. of that one final that, destination, or that one film about the bed that eats people. Do you remember that yeah. film? No, no, but that <laughs> sounds fun. Huh. I mean, that happened once in Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Yeah, the stabby Johnny stab Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so I I definitely recommend it if you like that sort of thing. I think it's worth the uh, effort and journey uh, for a, a person who has a very good voice. I think Marvin. I'm not surprised, but you know what's popping with you. You know, <laughs> one of us had to talk about it. So while Jess was up in Northern California enjoying um, working on her film festival, Han and maybe, I maybe maybe enjoying's too hard, too too strong a word. <laughs> Uh, Han and I went to fulfill our Top Chef dreams because we've always talked about watching all these people eat the Top Chef food on TV and saying, when will we get a chance to try this food and not just stare at it on TV? And so Han got invited to a um, FYC event for Top Chef um, where they serve the Restaurant Wars menu that won. So the United Kitchen uh, made up of Buddha, Amar, Sarah and Ali. And brought me as her plus one. So we um, headed out to Century City in L.A. to Tom Colicchio's Restaurant Craft and was served, I guess, the improved versions of all the dishes that they had on the show, which I was very excited because when I watched the episode, I already knew we were going to this dinner. So I was like, ooh, I hope we get to eat this team's food, not the other team's food. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I had well, yeah why would you choose the losing Restaurant Wars <laughs> team? Yeah, I had a friend who asked, they're like, only the one team? And I was like, we, why would we eat the loser food? But also, I was just like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not going to do that. Like, they, they didn't recreate the competition for us. You know? Yeah. And I say we ate the improved version because they used, you know, local California produce, which is in season right now, tomatoes and mm -hmm. strawberries. And Ali, for his dish, added extra juice. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that was a problem in on the show to the point where Tom even walked to the back and was like, "Where's the jus?" <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was very was... jealous when I saw this, but I'm happy. Mar you know, it's hard to it's hard to hate when like you know this is like Marvin's like Marvin bucketless dream. Yes. So I'm happy for you, dude. You know, on our table was a pair of people who host a Top Chef podcast. And they were invited because they like do coverage. And I was saying, maybe we should spin off Go Asian so that we all could be invited to the next one. I think next time, next season, season 21, we should just do a week by week recap. This yeah. is what I'm, I'm pitching right now. We should do like a live, we should do a live commentary, watch it together, <laughs> and then do like the debrief like a few days later. Yeah. We can totally do this. We can. 
And there's a Go Asian all, all component. All to be invited to shit like this. Exactly. And actually, like, I'm connected to Beverly Kim. I know a couple other, like, former Asian chefs, too. Like, we can totally, we can totally do it all. Like, I'm also just a pretentious dick about food. I'm, like, the really annoying people in the menu. I've said all those things. <laughs> so I think that's my bona fides. And I've eaten, my hot take is I've eaten at, like, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants. And I think they all suck. That's great. Yeah. Well, this meal was all, it was all good. Buddha's um, tomato tea tastes better than it looked on TV, for sure. Mm. Oh, it was <sighs> really good. Um, that might have been my favorite dish, if you want to call it a dish. <laughs> um, yeah. The, all, all of it was really good. I like I love lamb, so I was happy to get like double the lamb. from. <laughs> yeah, our neighbor didn't want to eat it, so we said, we'll saw- take your piece, sure. Um, And then Buddha's dessert with the basil ice cream and strawberries. Um, They use hairy strawberries, which are in season right now. Oh, I fucking love hairy strawberries. That's just $13 a box. (laughs) And for the appetizers, we had, um, for cocktail hour, they were bringing out hors d'oeuvres, which was like a bellini with caviar on top. And this was my first experience with caviar. And to be honest, not very It's okay, right? Uh, uh, It's just salty. No, well, no, no. It wasn't even salty. It's just... that I let me just tell you this is probably not how you should judge um caviar because this was not okay of the level I've had before and I hate to say that cuz that definitely makes me sound like a snob but l- when I said you could barely taste it I was like all I tasted was pancake so usually I actually love caviar and the salty brininess of it and this one was like almost flavorless you know what i've noticed though is you can't be a fan of top chef as a show without eventually turning into a snob i think it just it trains you to be that way for better or worse i I also was a food blogger and i've always been a (laughs) critic in some way so this is just how i'm built Um, i'm just a hater (laughs) there you go (laughs) however you want to label it i think we all have like we are discerning how about that i also think and I don't know if this is like, again, me being Asian, but for me, it's never just about like, is it good? It's like, is it worth it? You know what I mean? Like a, a meal can be objectively delicious, but the efforts to get there, to get the reservation and then how much you're paying, I'm like, is it worth it? And like, to me, there are just a lot of things that are no longer worth it. Oh, and that was the reason why, even though the orders are okay, they kept bringing it to me and I kept eating it. So I was like, this caviar yeah. is probably so worth a lot of money. at Craft, there's the hallway into the kitchen between like mm-hmm. the bar. Like the best position is to put yourself right there. I've been to Craft for events before. And so, yeah, that's my pro tip. Like it's like right by the wall. There's like a little like space where you're not in anyone's way. And that's where all the food flows. So like as soon as the <laughs> trade comes, you could just grab a piece. Grab a piece. Yeah. Next all right. time. For next time. All right. So it's a plan, right? Next year, we are, let's just do a dedicated Go Asian, any season of Top Chef or British Bake Off. Let's just like, let's let's make our mark as the go-to people for these shows from yeah. the Asian food, perspective. Food, yes. And so we can yell at Paul Hollywood for not liking matcha or pandan. <laughs> Fuck that guy. You weren't I here mean, when we talked about the Great American bake- Baking Show, but I heard it's good. It? It's pretty good. And it's pretty Go Asian. There's like half the contestants are... Okay, I got lots of shit to catch up on. I was like in a black hole for like two weeks. So now I'll have more time. Yeah. 
I mean, the other thing I can think of is we could also just ask for the screeners so that way the publicists know who we are. We can pre-record um, our things. And so that's how I get invited to shit is because I actually just know the publicists from like coverage. See, that's oh. why you're the most professional culture editor. <laughs> Thanks, Han. <laughs> We're just flying blind into the sky. I guess on that note, we should move on to our to our top show segment called Asian. Um, this last episode, I really, really liked. Um, it's the last challenge or second last challenge before they move on to the final episodes. Um, as you may know, this is Go Asian, our podcast within the podcast, where we cover the latest season of Top Chef and other cooking shows until all the Asians have been eliminated. And so this past week's episode was the Wellington episode. Um, but before that, they had probably one of their most, I mean, that's not true. They've had some pretty blatant product placement, um, but this is probably one of their most contrived challenges. Oh, where they just dropped a dishwasher in the middle of the kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> So I I was saying that as soon as I saw the dishwasher, I was really hoping yet also scared that they would have a challenge where they had to cook something inside the dishwasher. I wish they would have just done that. I feel like they should have just committed all the way. Like if you're going to drop a stretch, then the conservation challenge. (laughs) Then just steam something. Like, no, steam it in a fucking dishwasher, you cowards. Yeah, but that actually would have been antithetical to what the actual challenge was, which was conserving water. Because you wouldn't want to run a whole dishwasher for just food. You'd want to put it loaded up with dishes and then maybe put a like a fillet of fish in, in foil on top or something. But um they weren't gonna do that. So instead they had to only have one pot of water and split among the whatever of them and use that to cook their food. Which was an interesting challenge because you know, limit like I think for quick fires having these limitations make it more fun. And I will say Buddha's Hot pot with um, what was it like? Uh, black vinegar and salsing sauce did look like what I had for dinner last night. I mean, as soon as I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is also why I asked if anyone wanted dinner this weekend because I was like, I think I need some Asian food. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say about this is some people definitely knew how to do it because Gabri also knows how to steam food, but uh, Amar pan fried something and i was just like he's like i steamed it first and then i pan fried i'm like you're not allowed to do that i think the whole thing is you're only supposed to use water right i mean either they to only boil had... to steam or whatever yeah well i think the challenge was they only could use a certain amount of water but um, and they need to steam something so he yeah I think he was trying to be cute with the rules. And I think this is what I find is some people's, especially like people from like non-Eastern cultures, their idea of what a steamed dumpling is, it all defaults to like gyoza, right? Or or like plasticker. I think even the judge told Sarah, he's like, "Um, da-da-da, this was all right. He's like, you didn't actually have to make it Asian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He literally Andrew Wong called it out. So said she's like, yeah, you're right. So she gave him that. Um, but moving on to the beef Wellington elimination challenge where they had, were challenged to make three Wellingtons. Um, was it a veggie one, a meat one, and a dessert one, right? Uh, no, a fish. Was a fish? A, a fish, fish a one, meat, a meat, a, and, and a, a dessert. dessert. Yeah. 
So uh, they just happen to use certain vegetables for like oh. the fish one because it applied. But yeah, that's why the fr- two people had salmon and one person had tuna. Yeah. One group had tuna. Which I've never had Wellington and don't think I have a desire to have a Wellington. But even I know this is like one of the hardest things to make. It's- Technically and really difficult, but that's also why I was laughing when the lamb people. I was just like, uh, it's raw in the middle. And I was like, you didn't account for the fact that lamb t- might take more time. Uh, so I think, uh, I think I would totally eat a salmon Wellington. I think that's interesting. I've had beef Wellington a few times just because I happen to be at this company where someone's wife constantly made Wellington for Christmas and would invite us over. Oh, that's fun. It was her one dish. And I was just, and people were like, that's all you get. And I was like, that's fine. (laughs) It's a very hard dish too. Yeah. She perfected it. So I was like, I'm all good with that. You go girl, you make a Wellington. (laughs) Yeah. And I like stuff uh, encased in pastry anyway. So a good like phyllo or um, uh, shoe pastry. I feel like it was, I feel like it was a hard challenge. Like everyone was like, I'm like all those chefs like fucking exhausted and like they were ready to collapse mm-hmm. at the end. Um, but and and this is like including challenges where they like had to like stay up for forty eight hours <laughs> and like barbecue all night. Like this looked more tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just like, is a Wellington still that exciting? Well, it was. I think it was how they interpreted it, I think, because um, the Wellington always has to have some sort of like extra layer around the actual meat. And so mm. sometimes it like, let's say Gabriel made the traditional duxelle, but I like the idea that they, some people would like use leeks or something. And then one used nori, which I thought was brilliant because that added. And I think that was uh, uh, Buddha. Um, because I was like, of course you would use nori on a fish Wellington, right? Um, <laughs> and also, I think it had ikura on it. So I was like, so you kind of made a sushi Wellington, which was interesting and worked somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so I think I it's just like, the creativity. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do feel like I agree with Jess here, though, which is like, I get why it's on the, I get why it's a challenge because it's a technical, very and British thing to make. Um, <laughs> but it just seems very, um, frou-frou like it's very i just truly think that like setting the season in england and london and like having to try to cram like british food culture is like really hindering the full capacity of this i hope you know i think they're moving to paris for the finale yeah, I th- I think in general they should have done maybe two British challenges tops, right? Like, yeah, thank it's you, th- thank you for being, or or maybe in- inspired by let's say British um, empires sites, but not food. <laughs> so like maybe do something else where it's not the food you're celebrating, and then they can just take that as the inspiration. But um, I I will say you know I was like, hey, Top Chef, you can prove us wrong and invite us to have the Wellington challenge food. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, I, I don't I know how. As a ba- producer, like, I get it because yeah. you're producing an international show. Maybe you want to produce in a place where you speak the language, mm-hmm. right? I mean, sure, but like again, I think there are many ways to go about it. But you know, I'm just thinking about some of the challenges. I'm like, you you made them cook with like a mild cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. You made them like make pub food you there, there are more interesting things you could have done with this group of folks and we did not get the 
unhinged, like we're going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere. Child. I guess that was the verbal one, which I thought was kind of lame because the only limited thing was like, oh, you, you don't have space. As opposed to, you know, you don't get moments like, I baked a cake in a fire or <laughs> um, shit like that. So, yeah, I just feel like the whole, like, devotion to theme is making the season not as insanely fun as it could be. They could have had an episode that is similar to Cutthroat Kitchen, but honoring the monarchy. And it's all about the things you steal from each other. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would have been great. Oh, but dumb. Well, anyway. it is what it is. They did honor the queen. They did because they she did. died. Because <laughs> she died. They're like, we can't go out. Everything's closed. Like, Buddha oh. told a really interesting story, which is um, when they were um, getting the peaches for their peach Melba Wellington. Um, it was the it, it was the peaches that was formally endorsed by the queen, but it was oh, already yeah. stamped endorsed by the king of England. Yeah, so that that caused a little laugh because all of us were just like, so that was his first act as king is to Endorse get the, the peaches. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. You know what? You go off, Charles. <sighs> all right. Well, Go Asian lives on because Buddha and Gabri takes the win, which I feel like that that's Buddha's win because he trained he under Gordon Ramsay. He knew what he was doing. Like Gabri just followed. Yeah, but there's also like no way you could have done that single handedly. Like, there's just so much work to be done. Like, you gotta. They they divided the workload properly. You know, they knew which who had the strength for what thing, which was basically the actual Wellington pastry, went to you know Buddha, and then so Gabri's just like, give me all the little you know busy stuff. You know, so all the fillings and stuff. Yeah, that worked. And then we said goodbye to our first Americans. Two of them, Amar and Sarah, mm-hmm. who were on the losing team, which this was a tough challenge because every single team had someone I liked, um, mm-hmm. which made it hard to decide which, who I wanted to see gone. Because we all know I want to see German Tom gone, but he was with Ali. And I like Ali. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if they if they shuffled it, it might have worked out better. But uh. I I really dislike Sarah, so I'm glad she's gone. Um, so even though she took Amar out with her, or I guess Mar- Amar took her out because he was the one who was like, pull the lamb. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm like, it's fine. You know, it's top chef, not top six chef. Yeah. Well, uh, potentially we have another Asian joining us next week. Um, on last chat kitchen, they left us with a cliffhanger on who's returning. So it's either, um, well, you're not going to watch last chance kitchen. It's either Charvel or, or Amar that's coming back to the competition. Oh yeah. So, I like both of them. We'll oh, I out. know. I want both of them back. Oh, Charbel, my 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 forty year old looking twenty five year old, <laughs> yes. my sweet prince. Come Man back. pulled at Kirsten Kish, um, winning five in a row um, to make it this far. Intense. So you know, yeah. good job. Um, yeah, so we'll be back next week to um, check in on Top Chef again. Um, but we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Stick around. Podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. 
Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. As we mentioned this week, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, the latest film from the MCU, the 32nd film in the Marvel oh, Cinematic God. Universe. What the? <laughs> that's a lot of films. That's, that's a lot. A lot. That's like series. old. That's more films than I'm like <laughs> my age, your age. Oh, my God. It is the conclusion of the James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy um, before he, what's the, what's the term? Like jump ship, cross the pond, go see the other side to helm the new DC, whatever that's going to be. Um, the film, of course, is a continuation of the Guardians of the Galaxy saga um, following the exploits of our team, Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, and... Um, Mantis. Mantis and Karen Nebula. Um, the Karen Nebula. <laughs> Karen, Karen, Karen Gilliam, yes, Nebula. Nebula. Um, starring a, you know, it's an ensemble film. So we got, you know, everyone returning. Chris Pratt, Zoe Sandana, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillan, Palm Clementif, Vin Diesel, um, who gets to say a little bit more this time. Not going to spoil anything. Um, Bradley Cooper and also featuring uh, Will Poulter, Sean Gunn. Um, among others. Um, so the story this time centers on Bradley Cooper's character, Rocket Raccoon, or Rocket, um, as they try to save him from a new supervillain, um, the High Evolutionary, played by Chikwudi mm. Iwuji, um, who is this, um, I guess, the logical conclusion of Elon Musk's trajectory, Aww. which is a super corporate scientist who thinks he can fix the world. Um, by messing with people's genetics, um, who I guess essentially is Rocket's creator. And so he's trying to get Rocket back as Rocket is his IP, and the team is trying to save him from <laughs> no! this man. Not the IP! <laughs> I mean, he, no. he, he's also a particularly good model, let's just say. He, <laughs> he, he hasn't been able to replicate the likes of Rocket. Yeah, because he's interested in Rocket's intelligence because Rocket's a very smart, like very technical person, which is like something he um, created by accident. So he wants to figure out how he did it so he can do it again on like more quote unquote perfect people. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a lot. There's a lot of like eugenics things going on mm-hmm. here with this guy. Um, he's actually pretty. I enjoyed him as a villain um, because he's very like very extra. But um, I yeah, guess he, he's dramatic. Yeah. Um, Han, what did you think of the film? So the stuff that I liked the most was also the stuff that like moved me the most. Uh, it was all of Rocket's backstory because you you meet Rocket before he's named Rocket, and he's a very baby raccoon. He's very cute, <laughs> and then and then when you see him get knowledge, he's still not the Rocket we know. He's still not the smart smart ass, you know, kind of like um, uh, jaded rocket he's still very sweet and so he meets up with his other uh i guess test subject animal pals and they're all very cute even though they're all sort of different like the otter has these like 
robot arms. So it's kind of bittersweet the whole time that they're getting. It's a very good mix of like cute with freaky, right? Yeah, and and it's bittersweet because it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Secret of Nim or um, Watership Down. Like those are things that I grew up with that I always like, oh, animals, but also so sad. And so this was, they they perfected it. Visually adorable, but also horrifying because of the sort of Frankenstein's lab sort of situation that they're in. Um, and, and then the voices they give each of them are very cute. And the way they speak, because some of them maybe aren't as smart as rocket um they're very sweet and cute and so there's a sort of sense of foreboding uh overlaid during the whole time you're watching these cute animals and i'm like oh no because i don't know who these characters are in the future so they might not (laughs) exist this is not a spoiler sorry yeah no i mean i (laughs) <laughs> you can't it's Chekhov's cute animals right 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 um all i can say is like this is what i'm feeling when i'm watching it so like i don't know if there's ever a a big twist that could be happening <laughs> but uh yeah so that was but it was also my favorite part um i'm almost always down to see anthropomorphized animals especially if they're cute they all have very good different personalities um i it, it was probably the most i cared about guardians um <laughs> and all and all the films have been enjoyable that's not a knock against them but it's the one that maybe hit me the most emotionally well, you know, I think the the sweet spot to Han's heart is to include stories about animals yes. because we all know she's an animal person. Yes. Um, I had a lot of fun too. I've always enjoyed the Guardians movies. I feel like they're they're the films that are, I guess, the most disconnected from the greater MCU. So it gives them the freedom to like do their own thing. Um, of course, they're still connected tissue, and I, I kind of hated the fact that. I was missing key plot setting elements because I did not watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which apparently set up why they're on. They're oh. based in nowhere. The the head of the the dead eternal. Um, so so there you go. Watch that before, but also kind of <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but I was like, I didn't like being told that I was on principle. Marvin is upset. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I feel like. You know, part of it is also maybe I, I've always enjoyed James Gunn's work and, you know, maybe and like all the all kind of the creepy body horror freaky stuff. It it really reminds me of like I'm pretty sure this is he's just drawing from his trauma experience. Right. Because this is all like just mm-hmm. all the gross like um, it reminds me of like his other Nathan Fillion movie um, Slither, which also involved a lot of like, really gross looking like horror comedy stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm just like a fan of his vibe. So I'm kind of excited to see what he brings to to the DC. Um, not that I'm committing to watching more DC well, films. Well, he had also done Peacemaker, right? Um, yeah, right? yeah, and Suicide Squad too, like the yeah. second one, right? So, so the Suicide Squad or Suicide <laughs> Squad, <laughs> the dumbest naming convention, by the way. Well, it's like when they redid Scream. And they try to reset. Totally don't don't understand that. But um, yeah, I, like the thing about Peacemaker is it shouldn't have things that I like, which is like sort of this main jingoistic sort of like character. But he he always seems to know how to create ensemble teamwork sort of things, um, and that dynamic. There's always something fun and cute. So there, you know, on Peacemaker, there's Eagly, 
you know, an eagle. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think he kind of understands um, or he, he has his niche that works out pretty well. And um, so even if I don't like any particular characters in uh, Guardians uh, besides Rocket, like their vibe, their their dynamic together is fun. There's a great banter. Yeah. And I feel like, especially this film, I feel like just something about his writing, like he doesn't go like he does a lot of like hip kind of quippy writing, but it doesn't go into the trap that a lot of Marvel films go into where they're kind of making fun of themselves. Like everyone in this film is taking everything they're seeing relatively seriously. Right. And I didn't feel taken out of it where they were like making fun of like, like when in Spider-Man, when Peter Parker makes fun of Otto Octavius's name. Right. That's kind of. That's that, like low hanging fruit. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he 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 seems to make jokes for the fun of it, not the winky winkiness, you know. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm a sucker for a good space opera, and this film was definitely like space I, opera vibes, right? Going to different planets on a quest. I, yeah, I love space opera. That's actually maybe one of my favorite genres for read uh, for sci-fi when I read it, um, <laughs> because a lot of space operas have also been written by women. Um, when it comes to novels. So, um, of course, Star Trek and the like are space operas too. Yeah. I also like that this film did not center on, because the second film was all about Chris Pratt's Star-Lord and his daddy Star issues. Lord. Right? Uh, that, that's how you fix the Guardians Marvel franchise. Make it about a cute raccoon. Yeah. yeah. De-em- Voiced by de- Bradley Cooper. De-emphasize <laughs> the main white man and just give us a white man in a raccoon suit. Yeah. In this film, he plays... I guess what his niche is, which is the butt monkey of the team, right? Because everyone's dunking on Starlord because he's sad that his girlfriend got replaced by an alternate version of her, her <laughs> herself that doesn't remember him. Oh, um, but I did enjoy, like, the comedy assassins were our two Asian characters, right? Dave Bautista's Drax and um, Palm Clementine's Mantis because they, I was, I enjoyed their their interaction very much the entire show. In the yeah. entire film. Yeah, they, they got good quips um they got good moments but also they had a dynamic going on so it, it, they were enjoyable i don't remember anything from this movie that i saw about three weeks ago but like <laughs> i remember that i had fun watching them yeah and what did you think about buff groot uh not as cute sorry <laughs> yeah but he's, he's swole now I, we so like I, baby groot yeah. we like shitty teenage groot yeah, I mean, because I maybe I like him only young and only old, like Ents. Um, but in between, I don't care. <laughs> you know what? I'm on record. I'm a fan of YA Groot. Oh, okay. Well, good for you. <laughs> you know, there's a group for everybody. Yeah. There's a group for and everyone. This group had one of the most awesome, just like action scenes, like two of them. Like a couple of good action scenes, um, but there's one in particular where he gets paired up with Star Lord, and it's just I was hooting and hollering. I think that was a good moment there uh, because this sort of buff Groot also got to wear stuff. Is that right? Well, I mean, this Groot no. definitely fucks, right? Well, uh, I mean, he has wood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, pew pew pew! <sighs> Boy. <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not against this group. Maybe just not my favorite group. So uh, it was enjoyable. There was, I have to say the action scenes worked out really well, um, including the new group. 
Yeah. And there's a great like hallway action scene with the whole team. And like, I think it's even more hype than the first Avengers, right? Like just seeing all these people that you like just kicking ass down a hallway. Yeah. I had a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Because it sort of follows, it's sort of their almost version of a heist. You know, they have to infiltrate this place. They have to do these things. Um, and it's not quite, but in, in, in the fact that they have a lot of team members, that, that helps that yeah. heist vibe. That being said, the film clocks in at two and a half hours, which... Oh, my God. I think they could, probably could have cut like half an hour and still had a pretty tight movie. You could have cut like a one or two plots, I think. <laughs> um, because when I say I don't remember the film much, and but definitely the animal stuff stuck with me i think that's why it's like it was so noisy and so so many things going on that i i have to remind myself like oh there was a plot where they went to this planet with all the other animals that like learned to talk and and then i was like but who were they and i seem to remember like there was a house but like yeah so it was (laughs) just it's just a lot going on and it could have definitely been shaved down like an hour uh all movies should be 90 minutes yeah like you i don't need well i mean that's why they first started comparing uh, martin scorsese to marvel films because and they asked him about it it's because you know the irishman was clocking in at like three something hours right and then they were like well marvel films are like almost that long and so that's why they asked him about it but it's just it's just ridiculous there's no reason to go that long even for an (laughs) action film so. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a running joke about Cosmo, the Russian space dog, that was cute, but maybe oh, they didn't need it. But at no. the same time, I'm a, I have a feeling you you have strong feelings about this dog. I like the dog, very cute, but <laughs> the joke is just not funny. Like, just just have the dog in the background. We get the visual humor. The visual gags were very good. Uh, you didn't need need actually like dialogue and and a joke that was actually a very bad joke. Uh, <laughs> and another character it. was apparently introduced. I mean, she was yeah. a background character in the past films, but her as a character was introduced in the Christmas yeah. special that I didn't watch. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I see. Mm, comes back to that Christmas special. I guess yeah. I'm gonna have to watch it. I know Kevin Bacon's in it. That's that's all. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the time or the point in time where like you need to ride like a specific ride at mm-hmm. a specific time to get like a very important plot point. Oh, you mean when we had to play Fortnite to get to the understand message that from Palpatine, Palpatine somehow has returned? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, no, you have to I mean, ride it Star is Tours. Yeah. <laughs> It is. Well, like you had to ride the the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, which I refuse to go on again because the last time I went, I almost like puked because oh. my body can't handle that weirdly, anymore. Weirdly, I like that one, and I'm a motion sick person. So. Oh, you fucking wild! It's a really fun ride, <laughs> but like fun. last time I went, I'm like, oh my god, I can't walk, and I want to hurl. Yeah, that's one of the few I like. Um, but yeah, you can you can go on Star Tours. <laughs> that also makes me hurl. <laughs> I do enjoy some Star Tours. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I guess we should start wrapping up our conversation. Um, Got to ask, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 good pop? I, I will be gi- give it a begrudging yes, it is. Uh, it has all the things that, you know, James Gunn has always done for Guardians plus some. Um, I think for the heartwarming yet so sad animal storyline alone 
it's worth watching. But maybe, you know, give yourself an intermission if you're going to watch it at home. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. For a Marvel film, I haven't had this much fun in a while, sad to say, um, watching film or TV. Um, I did like that. Um, I vibed with the message that it was giving, which is animal testing bad. Also, corporations suck. Um, definitely can get behind that message. Eugenics. Eugenics bad. <laughs> Eugenics are bad. Yeah. Um, and I like that we spend time with characters that we like, which is kind of sad that this is the last edition of this version of Guardians of the Galaxy. Although I am I am happy that all of these people are all released from their contracts. Uh, at uh, this yes. Point. As, as I had mentioned the first time I mentioned Guardians, since the last movie I watched before this, um, a Marvel movie before this was Quantumania. So much better than that. Um <laughs> So, yes, I appreciate it. Yeah. Also, we did not mention, but it's a Guardians movie. The soundtrack still slaps. Um, and they don't stick with just 80s. And I think they that was smartly done to try to move them at least to the 2000s. <laughs> well, I mean, they got a Zune in the last movie I watched. So, <laughs> oh. You know, yeah. they, they're up to the 2000s now. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Is there any, like, Limp Bizkit? <laughs> no Limp Bizkit, but they have Beastie Boys and Florence and the Machine. So... Some good tunes in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Um, so that'll do it for our discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, I think we kept it pretty spoiler free, although I don't know if, Jesse, you're going to even watch this film at some point. I, yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if I can take the animal torture experimentation. Oh, yeah. Like I saw 30 seconds of it in the trailer, and I like started I, crying. It gets pretty I wa- graphic. Yeah, I watched yeah. this with Angie Han, and I was just like hitting her. I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Um but I did end up liking it. It, it, but it, yeah, it hurt me. It hurt my heart. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. I do have a list, so you know. Oh. Once I hit fun employment and got nothing to do, maybe I'll just watch it. We also got to watch Fast X. That's next in our docket. Yes, right? we do yes. need to watch that. I was not doing good yesterday if, when we were supposed to watch it. So um, excited! Yeah. I don't know if you are free this weekend, but we can try. All right. If not, I will see it anyway. <laughs> Um, as we make plans for our weekend. Jess Hanna, people want to find out more of your thoughts. Where can they go? I am on Twitter at JessJuTweet still. Um, I'm also there at Hanonymous. Um, I am going to set up my blue sky at some point, so maybe I'll hype that next. <laughs> What's a blue sky? Um, you can find me at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American host of the podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, we this is the last episode for Asian Pacific American Heritage uh, for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month uh, for 2023. Um Han, we made it. Um Woo! technically all we have left is our news recap, or do we want this for May? Um, but that'll actually come out June 1st, so. This is our last. Um, we made it through APAM, guys. Congratulations. There's still one week to fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs> we will recap whatever that is yeah. on the next episode. All right. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? 
I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 